I would like to dedicate this book to Maya. Magic Treehouse number 37, A Merlin Mission, Dragon of the Red Dawn by Mary Pope Osborne. Chapter one, for Merlin's sake. Tap, tap, tap. Jack was dreaming that a white bird was pecking at his window. Tap, tap. A red bird appeared and pecked with the white bird. Tap, tap. Jack, wake up, said Annie. Jack opened his eyes. They're here, said Annie. Who, the birds, said Jack. No, Teddy and Kathleen. Annie rushed to the window and waved outside. They're tossing pebbles at our windows. Teddy and Kathleen. Jack jumped out of bed and joined Annie at the window. The two young enchanters of Camelot were standing in Jack and Annie's front yard. They were dressed in long, dark cloaks. They smiled and waved up at Jack and Annie. Merlin must have sent them, said Jack. Teddy made a walking motion with his fingers and pointed toward the Frog Creek woods. Annie nodded eagerly. They want us to meet them at the treehouse, she said to Jack. Hurry and get dressed before mom and dad wake up. Annie started out of Jack's room. When she got to the door, she returned. Oh, and don't forget to bring the wand of Dianthus. Jack threw on his clothes. He grabbed his backpack and peeked inside. The wand was there. Jack put his pack on his back. Then he slipped quietly downstairs and out the door. Annie was standing on the front porch. Let's go, she said. Jack and Annie ran across their yard and dashed up the sidewalk. I wonder why they came for us, said Annie. I wonder where we're going, said Jack. I wonder everything, said Annie. Jack and Annie crossed the street and hurried into the Frog Creek woods. The early March trees looked weary from winter, gray and brown with no leaves on them yet. Look, said Annie, out of breath. They're waiting for us. Jack looked up. Teddy and Kathleen were waving from the window of the magic tree house. Jack grabbed the rope ladder and started up. Annie followed. When Jack and Annie climbed inside the treehouse, they threw their arms around Teddy and Kathleen. We're so glad to see you, cried Annie. And we are happy to see you also, said Kathleen. The sea girl's lovely water blue eyes sparkled. Indeed, said Teddy. It has been too long. What's our mission this time, asked Jack. Where's Merlin sending us? Teddy glanced at Kathleen. I fear Merlin does not even know we are here, said Teddy. We have not come at his bidding, but for his sake. What does that mean? asked Jack. Merlin is not well, said Kathleen. He complains that he is getting old and feeble and that life is full of sorrows. He does not eat or sleep. Oh no, said Annie. All of Camelot wishes to help him, said Teddy, but no one knows quite how. What can we do to help? asked Jack. Teddy picked up a book from the corner of the treehouse. Throughout the ages, people all over the world have sought the secrets of happiness, he said. Morgan wants you to search for four of these secrets to share with Merlin. She believes that the first one might be found here. Jack took the book from Teddy. He read the title aloud, A Journey to Old Japan. Oh, wow, we've been to Japan before, said Annie. Before we met you. Jack said to Teddy and Kathleen, we had an adventure with ninjas. Yes, Morgan told us, said Teddy, but she said that on that journey, you visited the countryside. This time, you must travel to the capital city. Are you guys coming with us? Asked Annie. I am afraid not, said Kathleen. We must return to Camelot now to help Morgan. Since Merlin has fallen ill, she has taken on much of his work. You have the wand, do you not? Asked Teddy. 
Yep, said Jack. He reached into his backpack and took out the wand of Dianthus. The spiraled wand was shaped like a unicorn's horn. With the help of the wand, you will make your own magic, said Teddy. That's what Merlin said when he gave it to us, said Annie. But he didn't say how, said Jack. It is very simple, said Teddy. The wand has three rules. First, it only works for the good of others. The wand can never be used for selfish reasons. Second, the wand works only after you have tried your very hardest without its help, said Kathleen. Do not attempt to use its magic too quickly. And third, the wand only works with the command of five words, said Teddy, so you must choose your words carefully. Can we review all that, please, said Jack. Don't worry, I've got it, said Annie. We have to go. We have to help Merlin as soon as we can. If the treehouse takes us to Japan, how will you go back to Camelot? Jack asked Teddy and Kathleen. Teddy and Kathleen held up their hands. They each wore a sparkling blue ring. Our magic rings will take us home, said Kathleen. And this book from Camelot's library will bring you back home to Frog Creek, said Teddy, after you have completed your mission. He picked up another book lying in a corner. It was the book about Pennsylvania that Jack and Annie had used on their first magic treehouse adventures. Thanks, said Jack. Goodbye, said Annie. Take good care of Merlin. We will try, said Kathleen. She and Teddy raised their magic rings to their lips. They whispered words too softly for Jack and Annie to hear, then blew on the rings. As they blew, the young sorcerers began to fade into the cool morning air. In a moment, they had disappeared completely. Silence filled the treehouse. Annie turned to Jack. Ready, she said. Jack nodded. He pointed to the cover of the Japan book. I wish we could go there, he said. The treehouse started to spin. It spun faster and faster. Then everything was still, absolutely still. Chapter Two, The Imperial Garden. Jack opened his eyes. Soft morning light shone across the floor of the treehouse. Pink flowers bloomed on a branch outside the window. Jack and Annie were wearing brown baggy pants and brown silk robes with blue sashes. On their feet were stiff white socks and straw sandals. Jack's backpack had turned into a burlap bag. Are we wearing bathrobes? asked Jack. I think they're called kimonos, said Annie. Oh, right, said Jack. Where'd we land exactly? Jack and Annie looked out the window. Below the treehouse was a beautiful garden filled with cherry trees and long-leafed willows. A waterfall tumbled into a sparkling green pool. Wow, said Annie. Jack opened the Japan book and found a painting that looked like the garden. He read aloud to Annie. In the 1600s, the Imperial Garden surrounded the Imperial Palace in the capital city of Japan. The city was called Edo. In the mid-1800s, its name was changed to Tokyo. Tokyo, said Annie. I've always wanted to go to Tokyo. Me too, said Jack. He read on. The late 1600s in Japan were years of peace and prosperity. Art and culture thrived, but it was a time when the country was completely closed to the outside world. No one was allowed to come in. The citizens of Edo were frequently checked to make sure they had passports. What's a passport exactly? said Annie. It's an official booklet that says who you are, said Jack. It also lists the different countries you travel to. He read more. Anyone who did not have a passport was considered a spy and punished severely. Uh-oh, said Annie. We don't have passports. 
Yeah, that's a problem, said Jack. Hey, what if we use the wand of Dianthus to make passports, said Annie. Good idea, said Jack. He peeked inside his bag. Good, the wand was there. Wait, wait, said Annie. We can't. Remember the rules? We can only use the magic wand for the good of others. Oh, right, said Jack. And we have to try our hardest before we use the wand, said Annie. We haven't tried anything yet, said Jack. I guess we should just start looking for a secret of happiness and hope no one catches us, said Annie. Shh, said Jack. Listen. A bell was ringing in the distance. The ringing grew louder. Then came the sound of horses. Jack and Annie crouched down. They raised their heads just high enough to peek out the window. Through the flowery tree branches, they saw a small procession coming through the garden. The man leading the procession was ringing a bell. Two men walked behind him, holding up banners. Behind them, four men rode slowly on horseback. They all wore baggy trousers and puffy shirts. Their heads were shaved, except for knots of black hair. Each had two swords, a long one and a short one, hanging from his belt. At the very end of the procession rode a man in a billowing purple robe and a small purple hat. Red tassels hung from the bridle of his large black horse. Jack looked at their research book again. He found a picture that looked like the man on the black horse. He read the caption to himself. In the 1600s, the military ruler known as the Shogun lived in the center of the Imperial Garden in a palace that had hundreds of rooms. That last guy is a Shogun, Jack whispered to Annie. He lives in a big palace in the garden. He kept reading. Often the Shogun's warriors traveled with him. They were called samurai. Oh man, whispered Jack, those other guys are samurai. He and Annie had barely escaped an armored samurai on their earlier trip to Japan. Samurai were excellent horsemen, well-trained in the arts of fighting. The code of the samurai was strict. Samurai did not show their feelings. They had great powers of concentration. They're gone, said Annie. Jack looked out the window. The shogun and his samurai warriors had disappeared down a tree-shaded dirt road. We should get out of the Imperial Garden fast, said Jack. If we stay here, we're just asking to be caught. How do we get out? asked Annie. Jack looked in the Japan book. He found a map of Edo. Look, he said, pointing at the map. We have to get over this bridge that leads away from the Imperial Garden into the city. The bridge is on the east side of the garden. The morning sun is over there, said Annie, squinting into the sunlight. So that must be east. Let's climb down and head that way. Good plan. Then we'll be walking in the opposite direction of those samurai, said Jack. Right, said Annie. She started down the rope ladder. Be careful, said Jack. We don't want anyone to see us sneaking around the Imperial Garden. Jack put the Japan book into his burlap bag and slung the bag over his shoulder. As he stepped onto the ladder, he nearly tripped on his kimono. Oh, brother, he said. He held up the cloth and carefully climbed down. Jack joined Annie on a wide path. A gust of dry wind carried petals from cherry trees through the air. The long branches of the willows swayed over the grass. Jack and Annie began heading east, keeping their eyes and ears open for more people. They walked past flower beds and big rocks. They walked around a pond with swans. They started down a narrow lane between blossoming cherry trees. Just as they came out from under the trees, Jack and Annie saw four men strolling toward them. One man was shorter, shorter and older than the others. He wore a straw hat and a tattered brown coat and used a walking stick. 
The other three had shaved heads with top knots and two swords hung from each of their belts. Samurai, whispered Jack. Yikes, said Annie. Run, said Jack. Jack and Annie turned around and started running back down the narrow lane. Jack heard the men running after them. Halt, cried a samurai. Jack grabbed Annie's hand and they stumbled to a halt. Out of breath, they turned to face the three samurai who were rushing toward them. Who are you? One of the samurai barked. He was holding up his sword. Why do you run from us? Are you spies? Just as Jack was about to answer, he heard a voice shout, Baku! Koto! The man with the walking stick and straw hat was hurrying toward them. Baku! Koto! What are you doing here? He called out to Jack and Annie. Why did you not wait for me at the bridge? Chapter 3, Basho. The three samurai turned to the man with the walking stick. You know them, master? One asked. Yes, of course, the man said. This boy and girl are Baku and Koto, my best students. Hi, master, said Annie, pretending she knew who the man was. We couldn't find the bridge, so we, uh, we, we came here to look for you, said Jack. And now you have found me, said the man. I am sorry you were frightened by my friends. The samurai put away his sword. Forgive me, he said, bowing before Jack and Annie. Sure, no problem, said Annie. The samurai turned to the small man. We will leave you with your students now, he said. Thank you, most honored master, for your visit with us today. All three warriors bowed deeply before the man. Then they walked away. Why did they samurai call the small man most honored master, Jack wondered. When the samurai were gone, the man turned to Jack and Annie. His eyes twinkled. I believe you are safe now, he said. Thanks, said Annie, but I'm afraid we're not Baku and Koto. No, you are not, said the man. But you are not spies either, are you? No, said Jack. I did not think so, said the man. That is why I thought you needed my help. Thank you, said Jack. You are most welcome, said the man. Now, perhaps you will tell me who you really are and how you came to be here in the Imperial Garden. Our names are Jack and Annie, said Jack, and we... He paused. It seemed impossible to explain. Teddy and Kathleen's visit, Merlin's sorrow, Morgan's research book... We came here to search for a secret of happiness, said Annie. The man smiled. I believe that is something we all seek, he said. But you must be very careful, Jack and Annie. The Shogun does not allow foreigners into our country. If you do not have passports, you could be caught and punished. We know, said Annie. What should we do? Perhaps you should travel with me today, said the man. You can continue to be my students, Baku and Koto. Good plan, said Jack. You must remember, seek harmony with your surroundings, said the man. Observe the people of Edo and do as they do. If you do not stand out, you will not be noticed by the samurai. Got it, said Annie. Seek harmony with your surroundings. Observe the people of Edo and do as they do, Jack repeated to himself. Come, said the man. He started walking briskly through the garden. Jack and Annie hurried after him. Excuse me, but what's your name, Annie said. My friends call me Basho, the man answered. Basho, that's a cute name, said Annie. And why did the samurai call you most honored master, asked Jack. Because I am their teacher, said Basho. What do you teach them, asked Jack. Basho smiled. Today, they learned how to listen to a cricket in a woodpile, he said, and how to think like a frog. Cool, said Jack. Those must be warrior skills, he thought. Special ways to listen for an enemy or jump around with a sword. 
He remembered how ninjas use secrets of nature to fight their enemies. Basho led Jack and Annie through a wooden gate in a high wall. They walked over a wide stone bridge that crossed a moat. When they came to the other side of the bridge, they followed a path that led to a small boat dock on a river. Three fishermen were loading wicker baskets into a long flat-bottomed boat. Hundreds of shiny little fish were inside each basket. Basho walked over to the fisherman. Good morning, he said. Good morning, Master Basho, the fisherman said. All of them bowed. Everyone seems to know Basho, Jack thought. May my students and I ride with you down the river, asked Basho. Oh yes, of course, Master Basho, one of the men said. We would be most honored to carry you in our humble boat. Thank you, said Basho. Jack and Annie followed Basho onto the deck of the boat and sat next to the wicker baskets. One of the fishermen untied the boat and the others used long poles to push it away from the dock. The men began pulling down the river. The fishing boat floated under a series of bridges, moving in and out of shadows and glittering light. As it passed under one of the bridges, it scraped the bottom of the river. Basho, Jack, and Annie were thrown forward. Forgive us, master, one of the fishermen called to Basho. The river is very shallow. There has been no rain for a long time, said another fisherman. It is very worrisome to us. Yes, it worries me too, said Basho. What's everyone so worried about? Annie asked Basho. When the weather is very dry, the people of Edo worry about fire, said Basho. 25 years ago, during a dry spell, half our city was destroyed by a terrible fire. Thousands died. Oh, that's awful, said Annie. Yes, since then, everyone has worked hard to rebuild the capital, said Basho. Edo is now even more beautiful than before. In fact, along this riverbank are many new castles of the samurai. See, there one hides now. Basho pointed at a steep rocky cliff above the riverbank. Jack shaded his eyes as he looked at the curved roof and high stone walls of a samurai castle. Its largest room is called the Thousand Mat Hall, said Basho. What does that mean? asked Jack. It means the room can hold a thousand floor mats, said Basho. Cool, said Annie. Basho, where do you live? Basho smiled. My castle is on the other side of the Great Bridge, he said. Jack wondered how many mats Basho's castle could hold. Beyond the steep cliffs, the boat traffic grew heavier. Now there were many boats floating on the wide river, big sailboats, barges loaded with lumber, and ferries filled with passengers holding parasols. The fishing boat glided toward a crowded dock next to a market. In the market, thousands of gleaming fish were laid out on tables. Men and women also sold fish and other sea creatures from baskets that hung from poles across their shoulders. Shrimp! Tuna, octopus, eel, they shouted. Wait for us while we deliver the fish, Basho said to Jack and Annie. Then we will travel further on the river. The fishermen tied up the boat. Jack and Annie waited on the landing as Basho helped the crew unload the wicker baskets. Then each man put a basket on his head and started up the stone steps that led to the fish market. Oh no, said Annie. Look, she pointed toward the other end of the dock. Jack looked. He saw several samurai getting off a boat. Quick, grab a basket, he said. Jack and Annie each picked up a basket of fish. As Jack tried to lift the basket to his head, he tilted it. A couple of fish hit him on the nose as they fell to the dock. Leave them, come on, whispered Annie. Carrying the baskets on their heads, Jack and Annie followed Basho and the fishermen up the steps and delivered their fish to a young woman at one of the tables. Jack glanced back at the river. The samurai were standing on the landing, checking someone's passport. 
Jack looked at Basho. Basho was watching the samurai too. He turned to the fisherman. Thank you for the ride, he said calmly, bowing to the men. We will walk from here. The fisherman nodded and smiled. Good plan, Jack thought, relieved. Come, said Basho. He led Jack and Annie away from the market. Soon they came to a busy road crowded with pedestrians and travelers on horseback. As they walked along with the crowd, Jack remembered Basho's words, seek harmony with your surroundings. He tried to blend in by walking at a steady pace. Keeping his eyes down, he worried about their mission. How will we ever find the secret of happiness, he wondered, if we have to keep dodging the samurai. Look at that bridge, said Annie. Jack glanced up. A high arched bridge spanned the river. Hundreds of people were walking across it. That is the great bridge, said Basho. It will lead us away from the heart of Edo to the bank of the Samaida River where I live. Great, said Jack. He hoped they would be safer away from the heart of Edo. Then maybe they could focus on their search for the secret. Jack, Annie, and Basho joined the crowd crossing the bridge. They walked single file, close to the wooden railing. Jack stared straight ahead, careful not to look anyone in the eye. He saw people having picnics on the other side of the bridge. Kids were flying red kites. What's that mountain? said Annie. She pointed to a snow-capped mountain looming in the distance. The white cone of the gray mountain rose above fleecy, rose-tinted clouds. That is a volcanic, volcanic mountain called Mount Fuji, said Basho. Oh, I've, <coughs> I've heard of Mount Fuji, said Jack. That's the highest mountain in Japan, right? Yes, and the most beautiful, said Basho. It is beautiful, said Annie. Jack looked around. Actually, he thought everything seemed beautiful at that moment. The green and yellow parasols of the ferryboat passengers below, the pink cherry trees shimmering at the river's edge, the red kites and white seagulls gliding through the sky. I love Japan, Jack said softly. I do too, said Basho. We call our world the floating world, for it seems to float on beauty. It really does, murmured Jack. Walking across the great bridge, he felt as if he himself was floating through the floating world. Chapter 4, Sushi and Sumo Basho led Jack and Annie off the great bridge and down a crowded road. They passed huge stacks of lumber. Then they came to a row of stages built along the riverbank. On one stage, women were dancing. Their faces were painted white. They wore shimmering kimonos and waved fans. Musicians played on a second stage. They plucked three stringed instruments and blew on bamboo flutes. Their music was high-pitched and strange, but Jack liked it. On another stage was a puppet show. Puppeteers wearing black clothes moved a giant dragon puppet around the stage. A man stood to the side and told a story to the audience. From the back of the crowd, it was hard to hear him. What's he saying? said Annie. He is telling the legend of the cloud dragon, said Basho. The cloud dragon is one of the guardian animals of the four directions. She has the power of flight and commands the rain clouds. Cool, said Annie. Basho led them on past rows of stalls where craftspeople sold beads, cloth, kites, and paper lanterns. Some boys were holding up yo-yos for sale. Jack was surprised to see yo-yos in old Japan. Beyond the craft stalls was a row of inns and cafes. The smell of spices and grilled fish filled the air. Yum, said Annie. Jack was hungry too. 
would you like to stop at a tea house? Basho asked them. Yes, Jack and Annie said together. Basho led them toward a small building with an open front. At the entrance, Basho slipped off his sandals. Jack and Annie did the same. They placed their sandals in a row of shoes that other people had left by the door. Inside the tea house, cooks stirred steaming pots over a wood-burning stove. People sat at long, low tables, eating with chopsticks and drinking from small cups. Several customers smiled shyly and bowed before Basho. Basho must be a really famous teacher of the samurai, thought Jack. It made Jack feel important to be with him. Basho led them to a table and sat cross-legged on a straw mat. Jack and Annie did the same. A waiter with a kerchief tied around his head hurried to the table. Welcome to our humble tea house, Master Basho, he said. Thank you, said Basho. Everyone is so polite in Japan, Jack thought. The waiter handed Jack, Annie, and Basho warm, wet towels. Thank you, said Jack and Annie. Jack watched Basho wipe his hands on the towel. He and Annie did the same. Then they all gave their towels back to the waiter. I would like plates of sushi for me and my two students, please, said Basho. Thank you, said the waiter, bowing. While they waited for their food, Jack studied the people in the room. Jack noticed that even little kids were eating with chopsticks. He and Annie had never had much luck using chopsticks in Asian restaurants back home. Soon the waiter brought over three plates of small cakes of sticky rice wrapped in dark green paper-like strips. He also brought napkins and three pairs of chopsticks. When the waiter had gone, Basho spoke to Jack and Annie in a soft voice so no one else could hear. We call this sushi, he said. It is rice with pieces of raw fish in the middle. Raw fish, said Jack. <clears throat> he gulped. And what's this part? Annie pointed at the papery, wrapper, papery wrapping. Seaweed, said Basho. Seaweed, said Jack. It is very good, said Basho. Jack was so hungry he was willing to try anything, even raw fish and seaweed. His only problem was the chopsticks. Try it this way, Jack, said Annie. She carefully picked up a piece of sushi between the wooden ends of her chopsticks. Jack copied her. But as they both tried to bring their food to their mouths, their pieces of sushi fell onto the table. Jack and Annie laughed and tried a second time. Annie was successful, but Jack dropped his sushi again. Without thinking, he grabbed it with his fingers and popped it into his mouth. Mmm, said Jack. The vinegar-tasting rice, the raw fish, and the green salty seaweed were delicious. But Jack stopped in mid-chew. Two samurai at another table were glaring at him. One of the men had a big scar on his face. The other had fierce, dark eyes. Jack's throat was dry as he swallowed. They saw me mess up with my chopsticks, he thought. They can tell I'm not from Japan. He picked up another piece of sushi with his chopsticks. He glanced again at the samurai. They were watching him like hawks. Jack's hand felt shaky. He tried to stay calm. He remembered a passage from their research book. Samurai did not show their feelings. They had great powers of concentration. Jack tried very hard not to show his fear. He concentrated on holding the sushi with his chopsticks. He raised the sushi to his mouth and ate it calmly. He lowered his chopsticks and picked up another piece of sushi. He ate it calmly. When Jack looked back at the samurai, they were no longer watching him. Jack let out his breath. He picked up his last piece of sushi with his chopsticks and ate it calmly. Very good, said Basho, smiling at him. 
Thanks, said Jack. Let us go now, said Basho. Basho folded his napkin neatly and left it beside his plate. Jack and Annie did the same. Basho paid for their meals, and then they stopped at the entranceway to put on their shoes. As they stepped outside, a drum began beating loudly. A huge crowd had gathered on the grassy riverbank. What's happening? Annie asked. Come, I will show you, said Basho. People moved aside so Basho could lead Jack and Annie to the front of the crowd. A large ring had been marked off on the ground with straw. In the middle of the circle, two enormously fat men squatted at opposite sides of the ring. Each man looked as if he weighed more than 400 pounds. They clapped their hands, then each began stomping his feet. Who are they? said Annie, her eyes wide. Sumo wrestlers, said Basho. Sumo wrestling has been our most popular sport for over a thousand years. The two wrestlers were now perfectly still. Crouching down with clenched fists, they were glaring at one another. The whole crowd seemed to hold its breath as the wrestlers stared into each other's eyes. Suddenly, one wrestler lunged forward and grabbed the other. Then the hugely fat men began pushing each other around. They are trying to force each other out of the ring, said Basho. Grunting and groaning, the two men moved backward and forward as spectators cheered wildly. Then one wrestler made a quick move and shoved his rival out of the circle. The crowd roared. Jack found himself cheering too. When the noise died down, Basho turned to Jack and Annie. The first match is over, he said. Shall we go now? Before Jack and Annie could answer him, two samurai stepped in front of them. One had a big scar on his face. The other had fierce, dark eyes. Excuse me, the scar-faced man said. May we see your passports, please? Chapter 5, An Excellent Student? Jack froze. Basho stepped forward. When the two samurai saw him, they bowed. Good afternoon, master, one said. Good afternoon, said Basho. These are my students, Koto and Baku. I am afraid they left their passports at home today. They are your students, said the samurai with the scar. Yes, excellent students, said Basho. They have much natural talent. Ah, the two samurai looked at Jack and Annie with interest. Will you share your talent with us? One asked, smiling. What talent? Jack wondered frantically. Some samurai warrior talent? Basho saw Jack's confusion. Perhaps you would each recite one of your poems, he said. One of our poems, squeaked Jack. What kind of samurai talent is that, he wondered. Do samurai warriors have to know poems? Sure, said Annie. Here's a poem. She took a deep breath and then recited, Twinkle, twinkle, little star, how I wonder what you are. Up above the world so high, like a diamond in the sky. The samurai with the scar nodded. Very good, Koto, he said. The little star twinkles like a diamond. The other samurai closed his eyes as if he were seeing the star. Yes, yes, very good, he said. A sparkling diamond high above the world. Excellent. Both samurai then turned to Jack. And you, Baku, one said. Jack stared at them. He couldn't remember any poem, not even a nursery rhyme. Uh, a poem, right, said Jack. Um, let's see. Okay, he took a deep breath and said, I love Japan. Oh man, I really love Japan. The land of Japan is cool. 
Jack bit his lip. He knew his poem was bad. He glanced at Annie. She looked as if she were trying not to laugh. The dark-eyed samurai turned to Basho. An excellent student, he said. Basho nodded. Well, yes, Baku has a, a special talent. He needs work, but the talent is there. The samurai frowned. You say he left his passport at home, Master Basho? Where is his home? Just then, the drumbeat started again. The samurai turned to look. A new sumo match was beginning. The two samurai moved closer to the ring to get a better look. Basho turned to Jack and Annie. We should leave now, he said. I will take you to my home where you will be safe. Jack, Annie, and Basho quickly left the sumo crowd and blended in with shoppers walking down a busy street. Peddlers carried long poles over their shoulders with baskets swinging on the ends. They shouted about their wares. Shoes and socks, cakes and pastries, rope and twine. One woman had a large box strapped to her back. Books, books, she shouted. No, thank you, said Jack. He loved books, but he kept going. He was afraid the samurai might show up again at any moment. A boy carried bird cages and shouted, birds, birds. Suddenly, Jack felt a hand on his shoulder. He nearly had a heart attack, but it was just Basho. I live that way, said Basho, pointing over the bridge. Jack and Annie walked with Basho over a small, narrow bridge that crossed a canal. Basho led them past a temple, then past small bamboo houses with chickens in their yards. Little children were spinning tops on the dusty ground. One called out, Hello, Master Basho! Basho smiled and waved. Then Jack and Annie walked with Basho along the dirt path bordering the river. Tall pine trees lined the riverbank. A dry wind blew leaves and pine needles into the shallows. Jack started to breathe more easily. He felt safer now. The trail grew more narrow. The sun slipped behind the tops of the trees. Jack was eager to get to Basho's castle. He looked for a steep roof and high stone walls like the castles of the samurai. Through the deepening shadows of twilight, Basho led them to a clearing not far from the river. At the center of the clearing was a pond overgrown with weeds. On the far side of the pond, moss-covered stones led to the door of a tiny hut. The hut was made of bamboo and had a roof of wood shingles. Next to the small hut was a large plant with droopy green leaves. Welcome to my castle, said Basho.